Father, I thank you for Jason. I thank you again for the work that you are doing in him and through him, uh, in his life, in his ministry in Waterford, and in his time here at Bayshore this week. Again, Lord, I just pray by your spirit. Give him a message for us tonight, Lord. As he speaks, as he talks, as he looks at the words on the page and in the Bible, Lord, I just pray by your spirit, inspire him. Give him the right words, but the right way to say it, Lord. And if there should be any spot where he flounders, Lord, I just pray by your spirit, strengthen him. Take those words while they're still in midair. Tweak them, modify them as they land on our hearts and our minds, that it would be your word that we hear to you tonight, Lord. May your will be done, in Jesus' name, amen. Good evening, everyone. So good to be here. If you have your Bible, Matthew chapter number five. Kendall, I also married into Bay Shore about 20 years ago also. So awesome. Matthew chapter number five. It's great. Uh, as I was preparing uh, this afternoon, I got a text from a young adult and, uh, in my church down in Waterford. said, Pastor, praying for you. And uh, as we're in here singing, I got a text from one of the ladies in the church saying, Hey, Pastor, praying the Lord will use tonight. So I want you to know my church is praying with you, right, that the Lord will use this, that he will be glorified, and that uh, the Holy Spirit will move in a powerful way. So uh, just, again, just just so excited for this week. I want to say, hey, middle schoolers, where are you at, middle schoolers? Where? All right, I see you. High schoolers? Okay, I got about an hour and a half, all right? <laughs> Listen, the old guy over there went, oh, no, right? No, uh, uh, if you know me, you know I don't have an hour and a half. I'd be bored with myself by them, just as I've been created. Uh, but uh, no, I don't, I don't have that. But looking forward to diving in God's word. Matthew chapter 5, let's read the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here we have the Beatitudes, this amazing promise. And tonight we're going to look at the second Beatitude and the third Beatitude, to mourn and to meek. I'm going to just call it the M&M sermon, okay? So that's where I'm at. Maybe I'll help you remember and in my, if you know me, some call me the prop pastor. I love to hand out things and to see things. And so I thought, well, maybe I can go into Seabwing and, and, you know, and get a bunch of M&Ms. But I tried that this morning because in, in our Sunday school, I tried to get stir straws. And I searched every store in Seabwing. And they don't have stir straws in Seabwing, all right? So they didn't get it. And so I thought there won't be M&Ms either. So that's what happened. <laughs> but tonight, we look at the blessing the Bible says, blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are the meek. One said this, that Christ was the master of paradox. That is to say something absurd, but when investigated, found to be true. 
like the last shall be first. Giving is receiving, dying is living, losing is finding, least is the greatest, poor is rich, weakness is strength, serving is ruling. And we hear those things and so many times go, well, I don't really feel that. But these are the things that Jesus said. And here on the hill he preaches and the crowd He's speaking to the Jewish people who knew how to put on a face of spirituality. They knew how to walk through the motions. You had the Pharisees, right, who would, who would do things. They would fast, but everything was to be seen. They would give. It, it was this mask. It was this show. Again, one author said his audience knew how to act spiritually proud. And spiritually self-sufficient. They were proficient. I think this is an amazing statement. They were proficient in erecting a pious facade. They believed the Messiah would come soon and commend them for their goodness. And they were wrong. They thought, yep, we're the ones that are blessed. We're the ones that are, the kingdom's coming. They were wrong. And kind of a thought, they, they had the, the wrong key to the blessing. They had the wrong password, if you may. Now, I think about passwords. Any of you have problems with passwords in here? How come all the older people laughed? I don't get it. None of the younger people. This Sunday, I had a 92-year-old man in, in our church. He teaches Sunday school every week. He is an amazing man. But he said, Pastor, I can't get the church app to work. It's not working. I said, well, bring me your phone. And so I pulled up his phone and went to the app store and opened up the app, and it had to download it. And I knew I was in big trouble because on the screen it popped up and said, enter the password. And he looked at me and goes, I don't know the password. Right? Password. They got the wrong password. For me, it happens. You get the wrong password, and then it says, hey, you know, you try to enter it in like 15 times, and then it locks you out. Or it says, hey, I'm going to send the password to the email. And you're like, I don't have the password for the email to get the password. <laughs> and then you get a password that you know and you like, and now it asks you for a squiggly thing. I don't want to do a squiggly thing. Or a capital... Right, the wrong password. Here, Jesus said, what you think is true, true, truly being a follower of God, you're entering the wrong password, you're doing the wrong things. A while ago, I was at the gym, and uh, I had put my stuff in the locker, and, and uh, so I got done with my workout, went back to the locker, and, you know, had one of those master locks, and, and, and I, I'm kind of a, I'm, I'm just a spastic person, it's just who I am. So I get to the lock, and I, I don't take my time with the master lock, I'm like, you know, just spin around, and it didn't work, and did it again, and it didn't work, and so I'm like, all right, slow down, and did it again, it didn't work. So then I'm like, Ugh. so I pull out my phone because I have in notes. My, you know, I have the password in the notes. Okay, what is it? Okay, got the numbers. Got it, got it, got it, and it didn't work. I'm like, what is going, it's not, why is it not working? And right then a guy walked behind me and goes, do you need something? And I went, oh, this is my locker over here. All right, so I moved <laughs> over here to this one. Here the Jews thought 
the password to blessing was to be proud and self-sufficient. In church, we can't act like, oh, that's not us. Or we can let ego and pride, the show, the front, it can become how we live. And here Jesus calls it out and said, I want to show you what authentic Christian living looks like. And last week, that, that first step to be poor in spirit, to realize I am bankrupt and I need a Savior. We get to the second beatitude. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In other words, happy are the sad, as one said. Happy are the sad. So Jesus said, those who are blessed, those who have joy, those who are fulfilled, those who are approved, are those who mourn. In Luke chapter 6, another passage in the gospel that gives us the Beatitudes, it says it this way. Luke chapter 6, verse 21. It says, blessed are those who weep now, for you shall laugh. And then you skip down to verse 25, it says, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Have you ever laughed at the wrong time? Like disciplining your child when they do just something, you're like, what in the world? And you're trying to be serious, but what they did was so atrocious, you're like, Dad, I'm really mad. <laughs> you know, like you ever do that as a parent? Only me do that. Okay, great. Uh, but to laugh at the wrong time. One said, I think Satan wants many people to just keep, to just to keep on laughing. We live in a culture, we strive to find laughter. It's like, what can I do to laugh? Even if it's not funny, how can I laugh? So in the Beatitudes, it says, hey, some of you are laughing. You shouldn't be. You should be mourning. You're laughing at the wrong time. You're, you're missing it. And now some of you say, well, pastor, are you saying it's bad to laugh? We're supposed to walk around like, no, no. Jesus is not saying here that we need to stay in an utter state of mourning and sadness. That's not what's happening here. Jesus is saying there are times when there are things in our life and there are things in our world and things in our culture that should break our heart. And it should take us to a place of mourning. I do many funerals. Uh, in, in our community, the, the funeral homes know that if they need somebody, if they need a church, they can call us and we'll have pastors, we'll have people in the church that will come. If they need somebody to do a service, we just feel like, hey, how can we serve the community? How can we love people? And so we, we, I do many funerals where people don't know the Lord. Do many funerals just in the community. They don't have a pastor. They don't have help. And I love to come alongside of them and care for them and love them. And, and uh, it, it gives me a chance to, to tell them about the gospel of Jesus. But what I have found is happening at funerals so many times these days is people are laughing at funerals. Now, is it wrong to laugh at a funeral? No. 
Is there a time of celebration and you remember and a joy? And Yes. But I have found that some of the funerals I have done, they won't mourn. They just keep laughing. They won't allow themselves to be hurt or to be sad or to grieve. And it's important to do that. And so I watch people, they'll just laugh and laugh. And everything about it is just a funny joke. And, and my heart cringes for that. Because they don't know how to grieve. They, they don't know how to mourn. Because our culture has said, hey, just keep laughing and everything will be okay. And Jesus says, no, no. Sometimes you need to stop laughing. The goal is not just to find this, this, this funniness or this entertainment, this, this being, uh, our culture once said, is overdosed on amusement. Here the Bible says there's a time to mourn. One commentary says laughter is essential, but the world despises sorrow so much that it has gone wild in its attempt to avoid it. Moderns have structured their lives to maximize entertainment and amusement in an attempt to make life one big party. They laugh when there is no reason to laugh. In fact, they laugh when they ought to cry. Here, Jesus says, happy are the sad. There, there needs to be some mourning. If you're a follower of Christ, there'll be times of mourning in our life. It's interesting in this passage, the word mourn, the Greek word here. I believe there's nine different terms for the word sorrow in our Bible. But yet here, just as yesterday, poor was the strongest Greek word. Again, here, when it talks of mourning, it is the harshest one in, in the Greek. When Jacob heard that his son was killed by animals, this is the word that was used. When the disciples heard that Jesus died on the cross, this was their heart of mourning. In the book of Revelation, in the kingdom, the, the political power of Babylon, when their power is taken away by the returning Christ, this is their mourning. Christ says, he calls the church to, there should be time of mourning. Now, listen, Jesus is not saying blessed are the grim or the cheerless Christians. Jesus is not talking about that we need to walk around with this, this sad face all the time or, or have like um, sorrows that have overcome us, right? This is not talking about, hey, you should have guilt and carry this for your life. It's not what this is saying. See, the Bible says that Satan, the devil, that word means he's the accuser. He's the one that brings up that guilt. He's the one that says to God, you're a worthless piece of garbage. And so here, this is not talking about carrying around that guilt. It's not saying that. This is also not pointing to uh, saying like Christians need to have extreme self-denials or extreme sacrifice. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, it talks about that, that people said, okay, to, to be a follower, you can't eat, you can't marry, you can't do these things. This is not what this is talking about here. This is not hopeless guilt. This is talking about 
a spiritual mourning. Just as the first beatitude is, is not talking about money, it's talking about your heart spiritually here. This is talking about our attitude towards sin. That if we are followers of Christ, when sin comes, it grieves us. Sin in our lives and in our family and even in our culture, it should break our hearts. And Christian, there are too many times and we need to be careful that we see things and we're entertained by things that are sinful. And instead of it grieving our heart, it brings laughter. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11 says, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, though you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas a worldly grief produces death. It's beautiful here in Corinthians. It talks about there's a worldly grief of sorrow and guilt that cannot be healed. But there is a godly grief that when we take it to the Lord, when we take our sin to our Savior, the Bible says then we are comforted. That we don't stay in eternal mourning, but we mourn and we take it to Jesus. And oh, does it bring great joy, the forgiveness of the Lord. Hey, are, are you in here tonight and do you know that forgiveness? Have you been in that place where you're so thankful just to celebrate and to go, God, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you that you have saved me from the wretched life that I was in and you have brought me out. I've been born again and I have a new life. Anybody in here like that? Is that what Christ has done? But to mourn over sin, we see in our culture today that people gather together they gather together in prayer meetings. They gather together and there is this laugh, a joke about sinning against God. It's not a big deal and we take it lightly. We cannot take sin lightly. Many years ago when my wife and I first got married, we, we bought a house. Uh, my wife was a substitute teacher, and I was the middle school junior high director at the church. So we tried to find uh, the best house in Waterford that at least was standing straight up, right? Like it was, I mean, it just, as long as it had walls, we, we bought it. And so we bought this house, and, and uh, we went to work on it. It was a mess, but it was wonderful, right? And so we tore out the kitchen and just everything. We tore out everything, all right, basically, and, and just uh, took months and months to redo the house and and um, I remember we got to the summer, and uh, it was like it was like a time like, hey, we, we might as well look outside of our house now. And uh, I remember my wife saying that she she wanted to have a little garden, so we had a nice backyard. And I'm like, you know what? Let's let's plant the garden in the back corner over there. That'll be a good good place. There's this little plant growing over there, but we'll we'll take care of that and we'll plant this garden. 
remember going in the backyard and there was this little, it wasn't a little plant, it was a tall plant and it kind of looked like bamboo and I thought, okay, I got to clear this out of here. So I remember just going, how am I going to clear this out? And I, I like touched the bamboo plant and it would snap off so easy. I'm like, all right, it's going to be easy. And so I remember just clearing out all of these tall bamboo-looking things, and I cleared it out. And, and um, I remember, uh, you know, starting to get that, that place ready. And a few days later, it was really crazy. I looked back in the corner of my yard, and those little plants that I had broken down, they started to grow back. Not kind of, sort of, but like, I was like, that's kind of creepy how fast those things are growing. And so I just thought, oh, you, you want to you fight about this? So I went back there, and I remember I got shovel and wheelbarrow, and, and we began to dig holes in the backyard. And as I began to dig, I, I realized this wasn't a little tiny plant that was growing. There was like this root system. And I looked up, and I'm like, wait a minute. This plant's just not in my yard. It's in their yard and their I was like, oh, okay. So I began to dig up the roots. I remember digging up the roots, and I was like, okay, now I'm a foot down into the soil. And I would dig up these roots, I'd throw them in the wheelbarrow, and on the other side of the yard, we had this little slab in the back of the yard, so I just took the roots and rolled them over to the slab and threw them out there, began to create a big pile on the slab. So, I mean, it was a day's work digging this up, getting it all. I'm like, okay, I kid you not, a few days later, I look out. And out of the stumps that I had thrown on the slab, they're starting to grow. I look over in the yard, they're like, ooh. I mean, it is creepy. I'm like, what is happening? And I thought, um, well, uh, I got to do what everybody does to figure this out. Let's Google it. So I remember I Google it. I'm like, all right, I have a creepy plant in my backyard. Looks like bamboo. I don't know. Help me, please. Enter. And honestly, I remember it popped up. There were these little like chat room, like people posted and then people responded and then somebody else responded. And one of the first ones, I opened it up and it was like one of the guys said, hey, I, if you have bamboo, that's worth money. I'm like, woohoo. And he said, but I don't think so. I think you have something called Japanese knotweed. If you do, I'm sorry. <laughs> I kept reading down. And the lady wrote, my father battled Japanese knotweed for 25 years. <laughs> He's gone. The knotweed lives on, is what she said. I'm not, not making it up. You can go on YouTube, all right? High schoolers, you can go on YouTube, search. like They have creepy Japanese knotweed movies out there. I'm not kidding of where this stuff grows. And I've even seen that some people are, will struggle to get loans on a house because this is so invasive. It destroys, right, the foundation. It is so hard to stop. And I remember going, man, my neighbor there, they like it. My neighbor there, they like it. So there was one thing to do to stop the Japanese knotweed. We, we moved, all right? So we went somewhere else. <laughs> Now, I tell you that funny story because I, I think it's a joy to laugh together. But to take sin seriously, too many times we take it lightly and we laugh at it and we don't think it's a big deal. And we, we need to know sin brings death, right? It brings death to our family. It brings death to our country. It brings death to our lives. 
And so we can't take it lightly. We can't laugh at it. We can't just go, well, just let it kind of grow here. There must be a mourning, a breaking in our life to go, God, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross. Why? Because of the brokenness of sin that Jesus took my sin upon the cross. He bared the blame. He took the judgment. He took the wrath of God because of sin. And here the Bible says, hey, if you're a true follower you need to come to Christ bankrupt, knowing you need a Savior. But you also need to continually come to Christ. And if there's sin, we mourn over sin. It needs to break our heart. And we go to the Lord and we confess. And I love the blessing that is here. Right, The Bible says, blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. When we mourn and we take our sin to God, there is the amazing comfort that he gives to us. Sir, ma'am, what keeps you from mourning over sin? Maybe you need to be honest and say, it's my love for sin. And it is true. The Bible says we love darkness rather than light. Maybe tonight there's a conviction that you may repent. The Bible says repentance is when we confess and we forsake. It is something I pray for my son all the time. I pray that my son will live a life that will confess and forsake sin. The Bible tells us in Proverbs to confess or forsake sin. Why? Because if we don't, it will eat our life. So maybe tonight you need to realize there's a love for sin. To know the love of God is greater. To confess that sin to him and then forsake that. And forsaking that is going to be getting accountability. To forsake that is to say, tell somebody, hey, I need help. Help me to continue to walk away from this. Maybe what's holding you back from mourning is that you feel too great of a despair in your life. You've allowed Satan to get a foothold of guilt. And he keeps bringing up what you did last year, what you did last month, what you did five years ago, what you did ten years ago. And so you struggle to bring that to the Lord and give it to him. Can I tell you, it's a lie from Satan. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And maybe tonight you need to hear it. You don't need to sit in despair and stay in mourning. Take it to the Lord. He is the forgiver of sin. Maybe it's conceit. And you think you're big enough to not need the Lord. Maybe it's just procrastination. You'd say, I'll do it one day. But yet the Bible says life is but a vapor. The very famous story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. What happens to him? 
right? He goes to his father and says, Father, basically you're dead to me. I want my inheritance. He goes and he takes that inheritance and lives in riotous living. But then he comes to a place, and I love how the Bible puts it in verse 17. It says, but when he came to himself, when he woke up, he said, how many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And most of you are churchy, so you know the story. He goes home, and he confesses his sin. He humbly comes. He comes to a place where he is broken. He is poor in spirit. And he humbles himself. And verse 22 is so beautiful, but it says, The father said to his servants, or excuse me, the, I skipped one down, and that's incredible too. It says, But the father, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Here we see the beautiful picture of the love of the Father. I love how people always fight. What's this, what is this parable about? The Son or that Son? The, the, the parable is about the Lord and His goodness and His love. And He calls you to come to Him. But what does that look like? It looks like one being poor in spirit and one who will mourn, mourn over sin. One said in the first beatitude, we saw that an ongoing poverty of the spirit leaves us open to an ongoing blessing of the kingdom. And here, our ongoing mourning opens us up to unspeakable comfort and joy. One said, if we don't mourn, you won't repent. If you won't repent, you won't confess. And if you don't confess, you separate yourself. From the blessedness of God. It is the amazing blessing that God offers to those who truly mourn. The third beatitude. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who are meek. And when you read that verse, I think immediately those who have A-type personality in here go, Oh man, right? You're in here, those who are, you know, those who are the urgent workers, mover, you're competitive. You're like, okay, I got to get it done. If you're, that's the type of person you are, we move to this beatitude, and you're like, write an F on that one. I'm in trouble. But yet there are others in here, you may go, woo, I got this one. I am shy, and I'm quiet, and I'm timid, and I got it together. Can I tell you, neither of those are what it means to be meek. Neither of those. If you don't like confrontation or if you love it and lose your mind, neither of those are what it means to be meek. So what does it mean to be meek? What does that look like? Again, one said, just as hurtful as the type of person who aggressively destroys another person with their quick and uncontrolled tongue. 
is the person who sits quietly and doesn't speak up when God is calling him to boldly speak truth into someone's life. God says, blessed are the meek, but sometimes we just like to rhyme it and go, is that weak? No. When the Bible talks about meekness, it has nothing to do with weakness. It is this great strength that is under control. It is this great power. This word, when you look at the definition, one said that uh, when you define this word, it comes from taking a wild animal and taming it so that it is under control. So if you tame a lion, nobody walks up and goes, yeah, you got no strength, do you? No, it is strength and it is power under control. I love what Kent Hughes says about this. It says, it does not denote cowardness or spinelessness or being timid or willingness to have peace at any cost. That's someone who runs away. Neither does meekness suggest um, wishy-washiness to have peace. Uh, neither does meekness suggest um, a lack of confidence. Meekness does not imply shyness or to withdraw nor is meekness reduced to mere kindness. Meekness is when we are people who are led by the Lord. We lead with a humble and gentle spirit, but we are in the army of God, marching and being a soldier of the Lord to live out the life that He has called us to live. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Psalms 25.9, He leads the humble in a right way and teaches the humble his way. Titus 3 says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. And to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. This is what it looks like for a true believer to live in meekness. Colossians 3.12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. Meekness is this humility and dependence upon God. There's a man in a church, uh, he used to own uh, a brand new Corvette, a man in, in, in my church, so he came to me and said, hey, pastor, you want to go for a ride? I was like, yes. So we hopped in this souped up, not kind of, sort of fast, but this new Corvette it was, and, and, and we took a ride. And then he looked at me and said, you want to drive? <laughs> yes. So I get in this Corvette. But it wasn't that fun because I'd turn the corner and hit the pedal and be like, oh, I'm past the speed limit already. You would, you, would, you would hit the gas pedal and it would throw you back. The fastest car I've ever been in. Just this amazing power. 
And he told me, he said, you know, uh, on M5, you've been around there, they have all these circle, you know, the turnabouts that all of you hate, right? Those, the turnarounds, and there's like six of them in a row. He says, if it's a warm day, my tires are warmed up, I can hit, hit every one of those at 60 miles an hour. He did say one time my tires weren't quite warm enough, but I'll just leave that away. Can your minivan go 60? How about doing 60 around those turns? What makes that sports car so powerful? It's power under control. It's able to do those things and to stay under control. Jesus says, blessed are those believers who are not weaklings, who are not shy, who not, not run away from things, but those who will stand for the word of God, those who proclaim Jesus Christ. Now they do it in a humble, gentle, caring way. But here, meekness is a call to say, hey, this is what a believer looks like. There is power under control because you're under the power of God. This is what it looks like to be meek. And maybe, Christian, you need to look and to see, to take an honest look and to ask, hey, am I meek? Am I trusting the Lord? In James chapter 3, it describes meekness so well. So if you want to turn there, we're just going to sit there a minute. James chapter 3, verse 13. The Bible says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his words in the meekness of wisdom. Who's wise? Who has discernment? I would even say, who's, who's led by the Spirit here? It's this meekness of wisdom. It shows this warning. It says, but if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast or be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, ready for this, and demonic. Woo! For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Word speaks straight. It's heavy. It says if you're living for selfish ambition, if it is about you, high school kids, middle school kids, this is what the world says. You better work hard to live for yourself. But the Bible says no. If you live for yourself, if you have the selfish ambition to go, I'm going to get what I want because the world's going to fulfill me, it won't. The Bible says you'll be truly happy and have hope and joy if you learn to humble yourself, to trust the Lord. So in this passage... Maybe tonight somebody needs to hear you're too harsh of a person. 
You don't have gentleness. Your words to your wife, sir, they always are harsh. Can I tell you, repent and mourn and seek the gentleness of the Lord. The work, everything leads to that. Then what needs to change in your heart? And, and we all know that you, is there this pattern that I'm really good. I get in a bad pattern. How do I get out of it? How do I not let it, how do I not hang out there? Just like with the knotweed. I just move, I had to get out. There are things you need to change so you stay faithful to the Lord. Maybe it's this grasping to be first at work or with your children, right? Thinking that, man, they got to be the best in that sport and you work to live through what they're doing. And you're like, we got to be first and no matter what it takes and whoever else you hurt, yep, we're going to do this. What is that? Spirit of pride. That's a spirit of selfish ambition. Maybe it's vengeance. Maybe you're harsh because you are angry and have bitterness towards someone. Here in James it says, hey, if you follow Christ, you can't live there. So is there somebody that now it has turned to your sin because you have held this bitterness and this hate? That you need to forgive them. How? As, as Christ forgave you. This harshness. This vengeance. This rage. Here Christ said bless. Are those who have meekness. This power under control. A few years ago, at our church, we had a guy walk into the lobby Sunday morning and just started yelling things. And um, now at church, maybe at your church too, like we just have security now because we live in a crazy world. And so just guys, you know, trying to make sure that the flock is safe. And, and so uh, we had security there. And I can just watch these guys in security. I can start to see them like... You know, they start, they're starting to, like, get amped up. You know, like, you see their, their heart starts pumping, and they're, they're getting, you know, like, their adrenaline is starting to ra race in them. And I'm like, hey, just it's okay. Like, you can just see that. Well, we have a police officer in our church. And everybody kind of backed off and let him take care of it. And I'll never forget, he walked up. And he was under this amazing, like, he never raised his voice. He never got, like, his, like his, he was calm. He was together, yet he spoke truth, gave direction. And I could just remember, man, this man is someone who, even though all of this is happening, he has this control. He still has power, knows the truth, taking the right steps, but doesn't lose it thought about us as Christians the world is going crazy God said hey you follow me you live with meekness you're still gentle and you're still caring and you still love people 
have this great power and you live under control of Jesus. Jesus, while he was here on earth, is the perfect example of meekness. 1 Peter 2.23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He stands before Pilate. Pilate, who thinks he has great power and great strength and great authority. And Pilate goes, don't you know that I have the power to release you? Jesus could call an angel and it's over. Jesus could call more than one, I mean one angel and it's over, all right? Jesus could call thousands and go, nope, you're not in control, I am. But Jesus shows us the example that he came to this earth with the purpose of going to the cross. And this meekness, perfect power under control. And we see it over and over again. They come to the garden. They bring soldiers because they're scared. Jesus speaks and just his words knocks them down. But yet right there how he speaks in kindness. Judas comes and kisses him. What did Jesus do? Jesus got down and washed his feet. Jesus knowing everything. Still in this amazing love. Still got down and washed his feet. Knowing his heart. Still, as Jesus does over and over again, calling him to repent. To be bankrupt. To mourn. That's our Savior. Peter who denied him, right? He knows it. Peter denies him, yet Jesus restores him. Jesus on the cross says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You want to see what perfect meekness looks like? Study our Savior, Jesus. I love the word of the Lord. And tonight, I, I hope the Holy Spirit has challenged you. As I pray, I pray there will be maybe some of you that will have conviction. And tonight you mourn over sin. Why? Because you'll be comforted. Maybe some of you need to be encouraged. need to realize that guilt that you've been carrying for years. Take it to the Lord. Maybe tonight you need to realize in your anger and your rage that you're not allowing Jesus to lead your life. It is selfish ambition. So tonight, may we respond to the Lord. And that's Tyler, if he'll come.
lead us in worship. Will you all stand with me, please? Listen, tonight, if um, as the words being read, see, I believe the Holy Spirit is who speaks to our heart. And maybe tonight, as you have listened, the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart saying, hey, you've never truly followed me. You've never accepted me as Savior. You've never been truly born again to be a new creature. You've never truly received the Holy Spirit. Tonight, what is so amazing, the Bible is so clear. The Bible says if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Where you're at, where you're seated, you can go to the Lord to repent of your sin, to say, God, I'm bankrupt and I need a Savior. I mourn and I repent over my sin. Forgive me of my sin and save me. The Bible says He will. And maybe tonight becomes the best night of your life. And you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Sing a song of worship. Lord Jesus, Lord, I pray if there's one in here that doesn't know you as Savior, that right where they're at, Lord, they will cry out to you. I pray, Lord God, that you would convict us of sin, that we would mourn over it and be comforted. I pray we'll have the heart strength to be meek believers have strength under control sure do praise you Lord and thank you in Jesus name